Welcome to another episode of the P Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we have another great guest. We connected online, and when I chatted with him, when we got connected, I'm like, wow, this guy's amazing. He's done a lot of amazing things for his clients, businesses, entrepreneurs, helping them to succeed, giving them their, that pathway towards confidence, towards leadership, and also becoming that business that's scalable and also helping more and more people. Uh, he loves being able to help companies solve those indifferences within the company by implementing those strategies to build their brands to becoming that something that customers really, really want to gravitate to who love them and also a company in which there's a culture in place that employees want to work for them. He's an author of two books, The Zero In Formula and also The Accidental uh, uh, where are which are both playbooks for success. He's been interviewed worldwide by so many other people. And I see his podcast interviews all over the place. So uh, I'm like, this guy is the guy to actually talk to and interview. Hence, I'm very, very excited to have him here. Uh, so please welcome speaker, best-selling author and solopreneur, Mr. Dennis Gielen. Wow. Thanks so much. How do you, how do you follow up with an introduction like that? That was uh, <laughs> great. Thanks so much, Funk. Happy to be hey. here. It takes an amazing person for, uh, for me to come up with an amazing intro so thank you very much for being here uh thank you for your time i know your time is very busy and also uh you you have a lot of successes you've helped a lot of different people succeed but first of all how did you become successful how did you what was that path what was that journey for you to become the person you are today yeah it, it's definitely been a long and, and winding road um i like to tell people that i used to be a follow the script guy very risk averse did not have an entrepreneurial bone in my body so i thought <laughs> for for the longest time um i was a script follower of get the uh, post-secondary education get a good job buy a house get married put away 10 percent, and then you know retire at 65. that was the script don't deviate don't take any risks don't bet on yourself just play it safe. That was me. Um, and not that there's anything wrong specifically with that script. You can live a very happy, comfortable life. But I started to realize in my 30s, boy, uh, there's got to be more to life than this. Uh, there's got to be some excitement by deviating from the script. What would it be like to bet on myself? What would it be like to start my own thing? But I was still so risk averse. I didn't. I didn't try it. It wasn't until the age of 43, when the first time in my life I had been laid off, that that was the jolt I needed. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, hey, maybe this script isn't so safe after all. Maybe even the script has some risks. Maybe you should bet on yourself. And that's really when I started to scratch that entrepreneurial itch. And that's what uh, led me down this path where I am today. So what was a BE before entrepreneurship? What, what was your career like? So I, I, um, I, I got my computer science degree um, and started off as a software uh, engineer, but then quickly worked my way into management. So I worked in a few different software companies where I was either managing software teams or I became the uh, director of professional services, working with our clients, getting them onboarded onto our software. Um, and I had a very strong project management side. Um, so I also moved into the insurance industry and started up a project management office uh, for a company. So very structured engineer type uh, uh, brain, 
uh, always on the operations side of the company. And maybe that's why I didn't have this entrepreneurial side of me. I, I, di I didn't have a sales, marketing, a branding background. Mm -hmm. I, I knew what to do after we landed a customer. I was not involved in attracting new customers, right? So uh, uh, another one of those people who my coach calls uh, a recovering uh, left brainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great term for it. Yes, uh, similar to you, I was I, I was an engineer and uh, faced the first exposure of layoffs and all kinds of stuff being in Alberta with the up and down uh, oil prices and whatnot, and uh, discovered real estate. So, and then that's where my career started uh, going yeah. and it was a lot of fun. So for, for yourself, was there anything before that? Like, did you start reading business stuff? Were you interested in uh, like studying something outside of what you were doing or yeah. was it completely a full stop and you're starting something completely different? No, there it, it was starting to creep in. Uh, real estate was my first interest. So I actually did take some calculated risks in my 30s and bought some rental properties. Obviously, I did my research, uh, looked into what makes a good rental property, figured out how to evaluate, um, you know, potential uh, uh, properties and, and and bought some some duplexes. So, wow, I've deviate, I'm deviating from the script and it's working. I'm, I've got cash flow coming in. I've got assets. Wow, that, that's great. Then my brain started to go to, well, what else could I do? Could I create my own assets? What would that be? Mm -hmm. Could I create books? Could I create courses? Um, because I was in senior management in different companies, we would always bring consultants in to help us with our strategy. Boy, did I love those discussions. And boy, was I envious when I saw them come in mm -hmm. and everybody's hanging off their every word and they brought these fresh ideas from the outside and, and, really sparked a lot of great discussion man i'd love to be on that side of the table what what would it be like if i started my own consulting company but again at that point i was still too risk averse but looking into it what would it take to start my own company what how do you do that what does that look like who are some people that are already doing it and i started watching uh youtube videos started reading books and articles on entrepreneurship really just kind of feeling out is this something i think i would be good at or not mm -hmm. now every step of the way of your discovering that hey this is working off the script i'm sure there was people that going oh wait on hold on hold on that don't don't buy that first piece of real estate it's not going to work they're going to yeah. deal with the old tenants who's going to call you at 4 a.m in the morning and then you get past that and then all of a sudden you're doing entrepreneurship and oh no don't do that all businesses fail within the first five years or within the first yeah. two years. So what did you do to avoid or navigate through all those, like all that down talk? Yeah, it, it is difficult, especially if it's people that are close to you mm -hmm. that are trying to persuade you don't do that. I mean, they have your best interest in mind. They, they don't want to see you fail. They don't want to see you lose it all, but they maybe they're way too risk averse. Um, a great example here would be my dad. I probably was so risk averse and such a script follower because he was. That was the model that was set for me. He was an extremely hardworking guy during his career. He's retired now, but always hardworking, always dedicated. He was in management. He was a corporate guy. Um, and that was the example he set for me. Never took any risks. He did not buy any real estate. He did not deviate and, and try and, you know, start his own thing. 
And I remember when I first bought my first rental property, uh, yes, there was some nervousness. Are you sure? Is this okay? And then after I did it, he said something to me that really stuck with me. And it was, you know, I, I kind of wish I had done something like that, Dennis. <laughs> and I thought, oh man, maybe it's okay. May I'm getting my dad's approval here that it's okay to deviate from the script, that if you take calculated risks, if you do bet on yourself, maybe that's okay. But then when I decided to start my own consulting business, I had been laid off, decided, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to start my own management consulting company. Oh boy. Are you sure, Dennis, do you know what you're doing? Um, you know, what if it doesn't work? What if it fails? And I, you know, have a chat with him every few weeks and on the phone call, be like, so have you, have you found another job yet? Have you jumped back in? You know, you know, you don't want to be too far away from corporate or, you know, you're not going to be able to get back. Into I want to that be game. within, within arm's reach, just in case. Yeah, care. exactly. Right. And I kept saying, no, no, dad, I'm, I'm doing this. It's working and uh, I'm liking it. Okay. But, you know, don't, don't, you know, burn any bridges. Don't sever those ties. And then again, four years in now, I've written a couple of best-selling books and of course he's read them. <laughs> so Maybe a month ago, I'm visiting with him and he says, you know, I just read your latest book. Wow, that was really good. I, I, I wish I had, have, you know, done something like that. And then he started because this one was about entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. uh, my latest book. And he's like, you know, I was a hardworking guy my whole career. Um, but I always did have those thoughts, too, of what if. And I'm, I'm glad you decided to go down that road, Dennis. So here was somebody that I was trying to please. He was the biggest, I wouldn't say naysayer, but really cautioning me, don't do it, don't do it, stay the safe road. And then to see now that it's working and it's successful to have his approval on that was is kind of like, wow, uh, you just got to get through those naysayers or get through those negative thoughts or those people that are trying to protect you and maybe have that fuel you. Maybe you have that show them, I can do this and you're going to be proud of me and you're going to be there cheering me on when I get to the other side. So mm -hmm. during, during that very first property that you bought, uh, how was that experience like putting in that first offer and then also recognizing the fact that it got accepted? Like, I know you did your research. I know you did your numbers. You're yeah. a numbers guy. Did you have other people around you that goes, you know what? This is a good idea. Yeah, we looked at it with you and it makes sense. Yeah. Like, was there some other positive support on the outside yeah, for, for sure um the real estate agent that i was working with at the time was a friend mm -hmm. and she also had uh, her own rental properties so i was running it past her what do you think about this one is this a good deal here's the numbers i've run <laughs> and she looked at it as well and said yeah no this is a good deal and the market was in a much different place than it is now um i i could i could buy the place it would cash flow immediately um, it was a, a good property. There was already some existing tenants. So everything kind of lined up and I was like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. Of course, there's that trepidation. It's your first one. What if, what if all of a sudden there's a major issue? What if I, the furnace goes or something mm -hmm. I didn't you know, expect or whatever. But, um, of course those are always just thoughts that enter your yeah. mind. None of that stuff ever happened for me. So, so in retrospect at the time, was it 50 50 feeling of I hope it gets accepted I hope it doesn't get accepted or was it the other way around <laughs> uh, 
I think at that time, because where the market was at, I was pretty confident that my offer was going to get accepted. I came in a little over asking, but it's still, um, you know, it was a very attractive property that would cash flow right off the bat. Um, there was a motivated seller. Um, it was a, a lady that owned it as a rental property as well, but she was getting married, um, needed to sell because she was amalgamating her assets with her uh, soon-to-be husband and starting a new life. So she just wanted to sell this place and everything kind of aligned. Mm -hmm. So it really was a, a pretty smooth uh, transaction and, and not a whole lot of trepidation, I would say. Maybe, maybe I'm lucky that was my first one and, and it went so smooth. But. Awesome. Now then, your, your transition to becoming uh, your own entrepreneur, opening up your business, how was that like? How was that transition? Was it as smooth as going into real estate? Did you have people around you too? Not at all. No, <laughs> it was not smooth. I'll tell you right off the bat, my biggest problem, I think, was I was probably way too prideful mm -hmm. and naive. I just assumed, oh, here you go, Dennis. You've got 20 plus years of corporate experience working for some major successful organizations. Uh, you're going to have no problem starting your own business. You know business. This is what you do. Um, but like I was saying off the top, I was always an engineer head. I was an operations guy. Well... I knew what to do once I landed a consulting client. I knew how to help them with their strategy. I knew how to work through different issues with them. I knew how to structure, um, you know, how to how to improve their operations. I had no idea how to land a client. I had no idea how to brand myself, mm -hmm. how to market myself, how to package and price my services. Those were things I just had no experience in. And didn't even realize I needed to know that stuff. I just had this assumption that I'm going to announce to the world that <laughs> I've got this new consulting company. I'll create a logo. I'll create a website. And then I'll just sit back and, and watch all the clients you. come in, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was phase one. Phase two happened uh, very quickly when I realized I have a lot to learn. And I need to humble myself and learn this stuff and Luckily, I, I, I do enjoy learning. Um, so I dove in, started learning as much as I could about branding and marketing and sales. And I really enjoyed that process of testing and trying things out. Mm -hmm. um, but it probably did take me a good six, nine months before I finally had a recipe for, ah, this is what's working for me. So, mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, like after, after you launched it a few, for a few months, you realized, oh, maybe I shouldn't have spent all that time on that logo. Or maybe that font wasn't that important afterwards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what I what I advise new entrepreneurs today is learn how to make money mm -hmm. before you start spending money, right? Yep. The, the first inclination is, oh, let's get an awesome logo. Let's build this amazing website. Let's get all these tools in place and let's get the CRM we're going to need because we're going to have all these. no. Start learning how to make some money, learn how to sell something, learn how to talk to people and understand how to market yourself and how to sell your product or your service in a way that they need it. Learn how to test the market, do all this kind of observing and testing and tweaking. And only once you know you've got it, now you, maybe you need to start investing back into your business. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that that inclination to spend all this time and money and effort on things that don't necessarily matter all that much in the end is is just distracting really so what was that first thing that you did that you would deem as your branding slash uh, credibility thing 
Yeah. So that you're boosting up those uh, marketing skills and boosting up the people's uh, acknowledgement of who you are and what you yeah. do. I would say two things. First, I had to niche down. I made this huge mistake of just announcing my company, Zero In is the name of my company, as a management consulting company. Great. What businesses do I help? What specific challenges do they have that I'm the expert in? Mm -hmm. And for me, it was so counterintuitive at the beginning as well. I don't want to pin myself down. I, I've got all this experience. I could help them with strategy. I could help them with operations and efficiencies. I could help them with their project management and their leadership. And I can do all this stuff. But if that's the way you present yourself, you're presenting yourself now as a generalist. Mm -hmm. And what companies want, especially when they're looking for a consultant, is a specialist, a, a, an expert. What is the specific challenge I want to be known for helping in what specific types of companies. Now they come looking for you. Now when they see your website and that's what it says, it resonates with them. So it took me a while to figure out, well, what should my niche be? And then even then, once I did niche down, it was, well, now how do I differentiate myself from other consultants that are in that niche? Right. Um, so that's where I really had to learn uh, about branding. Um, and the big thing that I, I, I did take away with, with branding is, different is better than better the instinct again is to try and talk about how great you are how many years of experience you have here's the uh, amazing awards i've won or here's the um, businesses i've worked with what's different about you mm -hmm. so and you had you you used it in my intro off the top what i came up with was instead of telling people that i'm a customer experience and employee experience consultant that sounds like every other consultant that does that. I needed to find a different way of saying that. So what I came up with was I help companies solve indifference. First of all, that got people's eyebrows going, oh, what does that mean? Tell mm -hmm. me more. That's a little different. And then I would explain, well, you have two problems in your company. You either have indifferent employees or indifferent customers. Both of those are huge challenges that you need to be focused on right now. If you have indifferent customers, it means you're not doing something right to have them become passionate followers of your brand. Either you're not creating a great customer experience or you're not resonating with them or you're just competing on price. You're not, there's nothing about you that's resonating with your customers. But then mm -hmm. you have that equally challenging problem inside your organization where your employees aren't resonating. They're not jumping out of bed to come to work for you because it's just a job. There's nothing that's, you know, they're indifferent. So I help you solve those two problems. Well, that's a completely different way of saying I'm a customer experience and employee experience consultant. Right. Now, right. when I explain it like that, that's different. And it stands out mm -hmm. and it starts conversations. So if a company's talking with three, four, five different consultants that do that, which one do you think they're going to remember? Which one is going to stand out uh, in their mind? Because I, I just explain what I do differently right so it was really that niching down and uh really coming up with that brand that really started to take things off for me mm -hmm. now you've worked with a lot of companies you worked with a lot of entrepreneurs and you focus in on the customers aspect and also the uh the uh what call it, the employees aspect yep now, you already talked about the indifferences in both areas yep. what would you say are some of the most common things that you go in and tweak on both sides yeah. On, on the on the customer side, it's 
are you truly understanding your customers or are you making assumptions? Let's put some practices and some tools in place where you actually are being customer centric. So are you interviewing your customers? Are you getting good insights out of that? And do you have data that's telling you this, these are your customers' habits? Where are they coming from? What time of day? What are their habits? Like, do, are you tracking that kind of stuff? Mm. Not personal information about your customers, but understanding trends and habits. If not, let's get that going. And then are you intentionally creating a customer experience that you want them to feel? What do you want your customers to feel? Like Starbucks intentionally designed a European cafe style feel. Mm -hmm. And then they designed everything around that. Every aspect of interacting with Starbucks is intended to create this European style cafe feel, which is very different from a donut shop feel like you would get at Tim Hortons or Dunkin Donuts. They wanted to create this experience. What's your experience? Mm -hmm. So I help companies design that. So being customer centric and creating a specific customer experience is huge. On the employee side, very similar. What do you want your employees to experience while they're working here? So what are your core values and what are you doing to ensure those are being instilled within the company? Do you reward people for those core values? Do you recognize those things? Do you hire people specifically who have those core values? Do you make decisions on promotions or maybe even having to let somebody go because of those core values? Um, and then the other side of that is how do you create a culture of innovation? Employees love to be involved and, and have ideas and have some flexibility, not feel like they're always stuck in a box. So I do a lot of work with what are the principles of innovation mm -hmm. and how do you instill that within your teams? So I think if you if you can really live out your core values and create a culture of innovation, now you're creating an environment where employees thrive and they love working there. Mm -hmm. When you talked about the innovation aspect, I, the first thing that comes into my mind is that suggestion box, right? And then uh, there's always one or two employees who goes, well, let me test that that box out. And they go with something that's completely like unreasonable. And they go, oh, <laughs> yeah. see, you don't implement anything. And then all of a sudden it becomes a joke. Right. Do you do you recommend certain criteria or certain levels or some kind of checklist that people need to go through before actually submitting? Here's an idea. Yeah, we did the, our due diligence. Yes, it makes sense. And this is yeah. serious. Well, the, the process that I've worked with a lot of companies on that seems to work well is uh, design thinking. So what I tell them is let's always start with understanding our customers and then ideas will jump off from that. So let's have brainstorming sessions where we look at customer interview information. Let's have brainstorming sessions where we look at customer data and their trends. And let's see what kind of conversations come up around that and ideas that come around that. Great. Now you're getting people looking at it from a customer point of view instead of from an internal product point of view. Hey, I think it would be cool if we created that. Mm -hmm. Maybe. What do our customers want? What do our customers think? So let's start there. Let's start with empathizing with our customers and then let's ideate. So let's get a bunch of people together and brainstorm different ideas. Whether their individual idea or not gets chosen, the fact that they were involved, the fact that they participated, the fact that they got to be a part of the process where we did whittle down which ideas make more sense, they're going to have buy-in now. 
I'm not a big proponent of the suggestion box because it's anonymous. They put something in and then they don't know what happens. It's like a black box. Let's make this a, a participatory exercise mm -hmm. where people get to see what goes on behind the curtain and are a part of it. Um, and then how do you test those ideas? How do you pilot those things? And how do you really have a, 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 a entrepreneurial mindset with these new concepts that we've come up with? Um, and then tweak and then, okay, this looks like it's working. How do we now full-fledged build this out and get it to market? So that's more the approach I would, I would help companies put in place. Um, and employees love that. It's fun. It's exciting. And they're part of it. So you get their buy-in at the end of the day. I love what you said there. Cause like indirectly, there's also the thought process of when you give people a, a, like a, a set system, something to go with, then you'll get the results that you want. But if you go, hey, just give me ideas and innovate. Well, yeah. now you're setting yourself for a failure because you didn't give it any rules or structure. And people yeah. will just go, well, I'll just give you anything. And yeah. then complain that it doesn't work, right? It's funny. I actually learned this the hard way. Um, <laughs> earlier in my in my career, when I was a software developer, I had a, a, a boss who met really well. But he said, guys, we're going to do some uh, brainstorming. Uh, everybody come on into the, the boardroom. Um, and it was just... Basically, here's a problem. Okay, popcorn moment. Everybody just start giving your ideas in silence. Like that's <laughs> not how innovation works. You don't just sit everybody down and say, give me an idea. There's a process that has to come from that, right? So usually it's empathizing with the customer first, really discussing that. Um, then you have to formulate, well, where do ideas come from? And how do you pull them out of people? Just saying, give me your ideas really just puts people on the spot. You haven't trained their brain to get into that innovative mindset yet. So this mm -hmm. is what I help a lot of companies do is, well, how do you do that? How do you spark innovation? And how do you run a good brainstorming session? Mm -hmm. So because I've been on the, the side of a bad brainstorming session, it really <laughs> got me thinking, well, what does a good one look like? Right. And that's where that kind of led me down that road of how do you do this uh, in a way that's going to make employees love working there and love your brainstorming sessions? Mm -hmm. No, for somebody who people goes to, to come up with ideas, to run these sessions or to set these sessions up, how do you find new ideas? How do you keep your mind open and, uh, and have that perception of coming up with different innovative yeah. ideas and or being able to drive a session so that it sparks yeah. ideas and suggestions? Our, our brains are funny things. Um, they're lazy. <laughs> Our brains want to find the comfortable way of doing it, the way we've done it before, find the shortest way to get to here, and then that's our comfort zone. But that's not where innovation or new ideas happen. In order to have great new creative ideas, you need to force your brain outside of your comfort zone. So for me, what that looks like is I'm constantly reading books I wouldn't normally read. I love a good John Grisham novel and I've probably read 20 of them, but I know what I'm getting and it doesn't spark new ideas. So yes, I read them for leisure, but then I'll also go to the library and pick out a book. I never even thought of reading before. Yeah. Ah, new information, new ideas outside my comfort zone. Synapses in my brain are now going off that <laughs> never would have before. Um, but you can take that concept and apply it to any part of your life. Think of all the comfort zones we have. If you drive to work, you probably take the same route every day, mm -hmm. take a different route. 
when you get to work, you probably like to park in the exact same parking spot. That's your comfort zone. The first day you arrived at work, you just randomly chose a parking spot. But then every day since then, you've kind of associated, that's my spot. Yeah. That's the way our brains work. So recognize all these comfort zones you have and intentionally try and break them. Now, if you can start to create that habit, you're going to create a lot more innovation ideas in your in your head. So then I work with companies to say, what does that look like for you guys? What comfort zones do you guys have as a team, as a company? What are some things that you do all the time? Maybe every meeting looks like this. Let's intentionally have a meeting where we switch up the agenda, mm -hmm. where we do it differently, where we look at it from a different way, or we don't even include that part anymore. We're going to do and it just forces them outside their comfort zone. Do you guys always meet in this boardroom? Let's have an outdoor meeting today, right? Just different ways to get, now you're preparing their brain, mm -hmm. synapses are going off. And then when you start getting into the brainstorming part, their brain is ready. It's been trained for ah new ideas, new ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some examples of things that I would do with companies to get them into that innovation mindset. Nice. It's, and the thing is, is, sometimes it's harder, it's easier said than done, because you're basically telling people to get into the habit of not being in a habit. Yes. And all of a sudden, like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or being comfortable with the unknown, yes. so that you're able to adjust and, and act on the fly if need be. And that's yeah. where ideas and all that kind of stuff comes from. Now, um, first of all, congratulations on your, your recent book, The Accidental Solopreneur. Yeah. Um, so my first question would be on that book, what's the difference between a solopreneur and an entrepreneur? Yeah, uh, solopreneur really for me just means you're an entrepreneur, but you're doing it all on your own. You've got a one person company. You don't have a partner. You don't have employees. You're not trying to scale, um, you know, in, into a larger company or a franchise it or, or whatever. It's I'm going to be an entrepreneur, but it's going to be a one one person show. Um and, and really, this this book came about because I created Zero In, which is a one-person consulting company. I was sharing my journey online. Twitter and LinkedIn are the two places where I'm most active. And I was just sharing, here's how it's going. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm testing. Here's what's working. People love it when you sh they can see you building in public. And a funny thing happened. Um, maybe a year or two into that, I started to get a lot of people following me not for my zero in content about customer experience and employee experience. Yes, I was getting some followers on that, but I was getting a lot more followers for people interested in what I was building. Hey, you left corporate and are starting your own one person company. I want to do that. I want to learn. I want to see what you're doing. And at first it was a bit frustrating for me. It was, I need potential clients to be following me. I don't need other people who want to do what I do. And it didn't dawn on me until maybe this time last year that, oh my God, there's a whole secondary market for me. Not only can I help companies mm -hmm. with their innovation, their customer experience, their employee, I can help other people that want to do what I'm doing. Right. So that was the genesis behind writing The Accidental Solopreneur. Now, instead of writing a business book for businesses that I help, here's a book for individuals that want to take a similar path as me. Um, so that's where the, the Accidental Solopreneur came from. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the one word that kind of piques my interest is the word accidental as well. Yes. How does one accidentally become a entrepreneur, solopreneur, right? You yeah. don't just trip over a curb and it goes, wait a minute, I'm going to become an entrepreneur, right? So uh, explain yeah. that a little bit. 
it's probably not the exact best word, but it, <laughs> it, 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 it sounds good in the title. But it really, it goes back to um, what we were talking about in the beginning, that my original path, I had no intention of being an entrepreneur. Mm. I did not think I had an entrepreneurial bone in my body. I was risk averse. I was a script guy. And it wasn't until I was jolted out of that by being let go, laid off at the age of 43, that I thought, oh, maybe I'll try this path. So it, in a sense, I guess it was a bit of a, a happy accident. Um, <laughs> accidental was really a word that I, um, I like to test. So when I wrote my manuscript, I had like 12 to 15 beta readers. Yeah. And I was asking them for all kinds of information on the book. Um, the book is told in, in a fictional parable format. So what did you think of the characters? Were they believable? Uh, was there enough tension? Did the story lag anywhere? But I also asked them questions about the title. And originally, I had a completely different title. Mm -hmm. So I was asking people, what are your thoughts on the title? And one person, one of the beta readers said, what about the accidental solopreneur? Oh, I like that. And a ring to it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, so that that's the one I ended up going with, but it does kind of fit with, uh, it was a bit of an accident. I didn't intend on going down that road and neither did the character in my book. Mm -hmm. He had a similar story to me where he was laid off and decided to bet on himself. And then it shows, here's the roadmap he follows. Here's the strategy he uses. Here's all the mistakes he makes. Here's all the mentors he runs into. Um, and accidentally, he ends up finding his way and becoming a successful solopreneur. I really appreciate the fact that um, lots of people, when things are in their face, they don't recognize it. They go, no, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. I'm going to focus yeah. on this. But for you, another group came in and you found out that, hey, wait a minute, I have another market. Uh, another person comes in with a title and say, hey, wait a minute, that works. So you're you're open to suggestions. You're open yeah. to to change your path if need be. And yeah. I think that's very important because lots of people are so strict with what they're doing, and they don't see outside of their path. Now well, that's that's the cool thing about social media is mm -hmm. you get instant feedback. Whether people, you like <laughs> people ask questions, I'll post something. Oh, I never thought of that. People are interested in that. Maybe I'll write a post about that. Uh, and then if enough people are interested, maybe I'll write a book about that. Um, very interesting. I've now found a third, third market. <laughs> so now I have written some books and they've done well. I've shared openly how I do it. Yep. Here's the process I'm going through. I'm, I'm building my book in public and I ask people for feedback and I get people involved and I share those results and I share what worked and I share what didn't work. Now I get a lot of people asking me, Hey, I want to write a book. Can I pick your brain? How did you do it? I'm thinking, okay, so I, I've now got businesses that I do consulting for. This is much higher ticket stuff. Mm -hmm. But now I have solopreneurs who just want to leave corporate and start their own thing. I do coaching. I've got my book. I have an online course. If you want to become a, a, a one person consulting company or a fitness instructor or an editor or whatever your one person company is, here's how I can help you. And now I've got these people saying, Hey, can you help me write a book? So I've been doing all kinds of Zoom calls with people, just downloading. Here's what worked for me. Yeah. Here's how I uh, sourced my information. Here's how I found good writing habits. Here's what I did to find a good editor. Here's what I did for the actual graphics and formatting. Here's how I marketed my book. And I've had so many of those Zoom calls. Now I'm like, there's a there's a there's a market there. So now I'm in the process of 
building in public an mm -hmm. online course for people that want to write and market um, their first book. And awesome. all of this comes just from the feedback I'm getting from social media. So you just have to be open and in tune and realize if there's enough questions there, mm -hmm. you probably have enough expertise that somebody else sees valuable. How can you package that and give that to them? Yeah, you, you, you're tuning in to the right frequency. And yeah. that goes back to doing a lot of reading and and changing your habits and being able to uh, get those synapses going so yeah. that you can actually recognize when these things are actually coming at you. Yeah, uh, exactly. you mentioned in your in your book about uh, accidentally finding a mentor, finding a coach, uh, getting that guidance. What are some of the most uh, most important lessons that you've gotten from your your mentors, your coaches yeah. that made you go, oh, I should have known that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, first of all, it's important to find the right mentor. Mm -hmm. um, yes, there are experts, but maybe it's somebody that did it 20 years ago. And maybe their advice for you might not be relevant today. So find somebody that is maybe just a couple of years ahead of you. That's important. Um, are they going in the same direction as you? Do they have similar interests and values and, and, and so on? Great. That probably makes a good mentor. Uh, reach out. I have discovered that people are a lot more open to giving me advice and helping me out than I would have thought. I've mm -hmm. reached out to some best-selling authors when I was writing my books. Not everybody says yes, but I had some pretty amazing Zoom calls with some best-selling authors that gave me all kinds of great advice when I was starting my consulting business. Same thing. People who have been there and done it and are a couple of years ahead of me. But the advice that uh, sticks with me the most um, that some different mentors have given me is one, be a giver. And what I mean by that is don't be afraid to just give away free advice. When I was starting my consulting business, I thought, boy, I, I need to make a sale and then I can download all this information onto people and they're going to be amazed. Mm -hmm. um, you need to amaze them first in order for them to want to hire you. So don't be afraid to give away a bunch of free advice. When a company is reaching out to me or if I'm doing a sales call with them about helping them with the customer experience or employee experience or innovation, I just start giving away free advice right there in the initial call. Have you tried this? Have you thought about that? Maybe you should be doing this. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, if this guy's telling us this now for free, what's he get, what's going to happen when we hire this guy? Like it just creates this credibility and this goodwill and this trust. Mm -hmm. So be a giver, give away free advice on social media. I'm constantly just telling people exactly what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, do they need to pay for one of my courses? No, but they would have to go through all my social media posts and kind of put all this together. So people are paying for having that all curated in one package. But it's all there. If you read through all my posts, it's it's there. It's now just packaged into 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 a course that they can they can buy. So mm -hmm. be a giver is one. Um, and the other thing that um, people have really advised me is build in public. Right? People want to get to know you, not just what you have to offer, but mm -hmm. they want to see what you're going through. They want to see behind the curtain of who are you and, and what are you doing and how are you doing it. Um, and that's really going to create not just um, 
fans or followers, it's going to create a community, people that feel like they're along the ride with you. So be a giver and build in public are two of the things that have really stood out for me from, from a bunch of different mentors. Nice. Now for you, I know you have a lot of stuff you're going to be working on. Uh, you're coming with courses up with courses all the time. You're helping people to you. What does legacy mean and how do you procure it? Yeah. The, the biggest um, satisfaction or reward I get from any of the stuff I do is seeing other people succeed. I know that I got to help somebody write a book or start their own consulting business or mm -hmm. fix their employee engagement problem, whatever it is I'm working with them on. It's walking away from that, knowing I helped, I did it with integrity. I built some relationships and people saw me as a giving person. Yes, I'm making money off doing it, but that's not my main motivator. It's not, I want to hit $5 million a year. That's not my goal. Mm -hmm. My goal is I want to help 5 million people. And yes, the money will follow, but that's the legacy I want to leave behind is that people saw me as a genuine person who was there to help. Mm -hmm. Now, you, you shared some of the the advice that your mentor has given you. Uh, you shared your goals, what your what you want your legacy to be. Now, let's say we put you on the main stage at a world event and everybody's listening to you speak and you're you're there to give one message. What's that yeah. one message that you want everybody in the world to remember Dennis for? Yeah, uh, it's not a competition. We, we can all win. Mm -hmm. uh, when I go on social media, I have a list of people every morning. I have a very structured approach to how I'm going to engage and who I'm going to engage with. And I have three separate lists of people influencers, people who are a few years ahead of me, I want to engage on their posts because I want them to know who I am and I want their audience to see that I'm there giving value as well. So borrow their audience and create goodwill with them. Mm -hmm. But the second group of people are peers. You might call them competitors, people that are doing maybe the exact same thing as me or about the same size as me or about the same spot in their journey. I want to give to them. I want to show up and engage on their post. They're not competing with me. I'm not competing with them. Um, we can both win. And there's lots of times I'll get a, a company reach out to me for a business engagement for consulting. And I'm like, mm, I can do this. I can't do that. Hey, but I know this person, I'll bring them in. Or maybe the entire engagement really doesn't fit. I know a great person that can help you. It's not a competition. Right. I, I like to think if, if, if the tide rises, all the boats rise together. Mm-hmm. We're all here. There's plenty to go around. So that would be my my main message when I when I get out there is is be a giver and you know help others around you. Awesome. Uh, great words to live by. And I hope everybody's taking notes because uh, you shared a lot of great tips, uh, things that people can can and can implement right away to to start their entrepreneurial path. And also um, a great life advice that allows people to not constantly think that they have to beat somebody to in order yeah. to get ahead. So thank you very much for that. Now, before I let you go, i got five quick questions. Give me the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Rapid fire. Right. Here we go. Exactly. Uh, Strand on a deserted island. One food to eat for the rest of your life. No consequence. Uh, pizza. One song that you would not mind listening to on a road trip on repeat for hours on end. Ooh, you know what? I'm a huge Tragically Hip fan, so it would probably be one of their songs. If I had to pick one, I would say I'll go a little more obscure. Emperor Penguin by the Tragically Hip. 
<laughs> nice. Um, Monopoly calls. Yeah. Says, hey, we want to build a game purely on you, Dennisopoly. What okay. are the five playing pieces that represents you the best? Oh boy, boy, these are hard hitting questions, man. <laughs> um, the pieces. Um, um, yeah. Uh, so I'm a huge Boston Red Sox fan. You might be able to see right here, I think. So maybe a Boston Red Sox hat mm -hmm. would be one. I'm a huge uh, hockey fan. I play hockey. I love watching hockey. So maybe a hockey skate would be another one. I love being a dad to my children. So maybe a, a figure with a, a dad and, and his children. I need two more. Eh? Um, <laughs> I love to read. So probably mm -hmm. a book. And... I love to write, so a book as well. Um, and maybe a microphone. I, I love doing interviews. I love um, public speaking. So mm. how did Perfect. I do? Those those five good ones? Sounds good. Sounds like the, I would say the, the microphone is probably going to be a, one that everybody's going to pick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tragically, Hip shows up at your door. Yeah. And go, hey, we heard you love our music. Let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. Boy, we're hungry. And you go, don't worry about it. Give me a moment. I'm going to go and fix up something nice. Uh, just yeah. sit down and relax. What's that meal or specialty that you can create or uh, serve? Yeah. Well, actually, I just made it yesterday. I, I, I <laughs> so made tragically this... hip arrived yesterday? <laughs> no, no. But here's the food. Here's, that would be awesome. That'd be a great story. Um, yeah. I make a really good uh, Alfredo chicken lasagna. Mm. And I made it yesterday. My wife loves it when I make it. So uh, that's what I would make for them. I know how to make it off by heart and it's delicious. So great. And before I get to my last question, number from one to four, three, one, two, three. So how is success like candles? Ooh, um, they it's a it's a slow burn. I tell all the different solopreneurs that I, I coach, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for instant success, you've come to the wrong place. There's no hacks. There's best practices and consistency. So a candle, you don't light it and it burns in an hour. It It's there for days, weeks, right? Um, to me, that's, that's a good metaphor for success. Awesome. So that's how success is like candles. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, get your book, see your content, what's the best way? Uh, probably two ways. So there's my website, uh, dennisgeelan.me. And there you can find out about me. There's links to my book, my course, coaching calls. Um, or LinkedIn is probably the social network where I'm most active. So you can look me up on LinkedIn and I'd love to connect there as well. Awesome. And any last words from you that you want to share? No, just, uh, wow, you, you uh, love the questions today. You threw me for a loop with some, but I, I just loved our conversation. So thanks again for having me on. Awesome. Thank you very much. So for everybody else, make sure you connect with Dennis, uh, check out his social media stuff, check out his his other interviews that he's done. He's he's given a lot of great value and I've enjoyed every minute of this. I had a lot of fun. So thank you very much again uh, for everybody else. Until next time, he is Dennis. My name is Fong Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to lock your peak potential. We'll see you later.